John Stewart is back at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Comedy Central. I'm originally from Florida. Woo is the state motto of Florida, that is correct. Florida's a weird place. If you've never been there, I have this analogy I like to use to explain it. I'll share with you fine folks tonight. Uh, if America is the Walmart, then Florida is that McDonald's inside the Walmart. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been to one of those McDonald's, but it's always really weird. It's like a guy waving a gun around for no reason. There's an iguana at the cash register. There's a meth deal by the sodas. There's a meth deal on the menu. It's actually pretty good math. You can get that. I'm from Jacksonville, Florida. That's like the bathroom inside the McDonald's inside the Walmart. Water's always overflowing and Limp Biscuit's always playing. Very, very aggressive bathroom situation. Jacksonville's interesting because Jacksonville's actually like the northernmost part of the state of Florida, but it's actually super southern in culture. Like all my family are rednecks. Uh, I was raised Southern Baptist. My mama was a casserole. <laughs> but if I ever say that I'm from the South and someone from like Alabama or Georgia hears me say that, they always go, Florida. That ain't the South. <laughs> you guys know how bad your state is to be for the South not to want it? Hello and welcome to a special half-hour edition of Stand Up with Chris Stefano. the final uh, special half-hour edition of Stand Up with Chris Stefano. I'm Nicole Boyce, I'm Chris's producer here, and uh, it's been an honor to be going through all these half hours with all of you. Uh, truly a privilege. Um, today's episode is, uh, dare I say, jam-packed and filled to the brim with stand-up. You just heard a clip from Alan Strickland-Williams, whose half hour aired recently, and I'll be interviewing him later, so you'll get to hear about his process recording the half hour. And he's also selected some stand-up to listen to, so you'll hear who he was inspired by and whose half hour he's he enjoys as a comedian. Um, and coming up first, we have clips from our final three half-hour comedians, David Borey, Charles Gould, and Sarah Schaefer. Very funny comedians, very funny half-hours. Let's take a listen. I like drugs sometimes. Not all of them, but most of them. Cocaine's funny. I think cocaine's funny. I just think doing cocaine to me is exactly like peeing your pants. Because when you do cocaine, much like when you pee your pants, for the first 30 seconds afterwards, your body's all warm, and you feel so good about that decision. And something deep down inside of you is screaming out, this is what I need to be doing right now! And then 30 seconds go by and you start to get cold. And then you realize that you're alone. And you're like, why did I do this on the bus? <laughs> I like smoking weed the best. That's my favorite drug. I worry that it's getting too strong, though. Weed is too good now. I don't like that. 
I smoked some weed the other day, and I got like super paranoid. Like seventh grade, I'm in the basement, mom's upstairs type of paranoid. <laughs> like three hits in, I was so paranoid, I had to stop doing my Sudoku puzzle because it felt like I was helping write code for the Matrix. It's a weird place to be as a grown man. trying to get my mom to listen to rap music. She's not into it and it bums me out because my mom is more like a rapper than anyone I know. <laughs> she wears her hair in braids, she's hyper aggressive and she only drinks dark liquor. It should have happened by now. But she doesn't want to do it. She says, I don't like how they talk to me. I'm like, that's because you're listening to it like a nerd. Who, that's not how you listen to rap music. They're not supposed to talk to you. Then they all just sound like bad friends. You gotta listen to rap music in the first person because then it's the best music in the world. It's the most empowering thing there is. If I'm Nicki Minaj and my pussy's gonna put your husband in a coma, this is the most powerful way you can feel. This is the most powerful way you can feel. And I've tried other types of music. I tried to listen to indie rock music for a while. Here's my question about indie rock music. Hey, young white men, why so sad? <laughs> That's how you feel. What the fuck chance do I have? <laughs> I never heard an indie rock song I wanted to hear right after I got paid. Like, I never got $500 and was like, Fleet Foxes, turn it up! <laughs> I love my mom a lot. She's from Africa. It's not that cool. I mean, it's cool that she's from Africa. When your parents are from another country, you can't have a hard life because your parents are from another country. <laughs> they won't let you... <laughs> I remember I was a kid and I was getting bullied and I told my mom, cause I'm a mark, and uh, <laughs> I snitched, whatever, I snitched. I was like, oh, I'm all the bullied at school. And she looked me in the face and she was like, I didn't have shoes till I was 12 years old. <laughs> I was like, bitch, who cares? Read the room. <laughs> also, you said that shoe shit when the power got cut off, it's starting to feel like deflection. I'm an animal lover, I'm a big time animal lover. <clears throat> I like dogs, any of you guys like dogs? I like dogs so much, I don't think we should own them. Dogs have terrible lives and nobody acknowledges it. Every dog you know has the worst life on paper. I was hanging out with my buddy and I was looking at his dog and I was just thinking about his life and his life is so terrible. This dog was born and then ripped away from his biological family to go live with strangers of a different species. And then when he hit puberty, they took him out to a farm to have sex with another strange dog and they left three of the puppies with the mom because, you know, single moms can hold it down. And they took one. 
and raised him with it as his brother. That's not a life, that's the plot to a Tyler Perry movie. And the dog hates it, he hates it, you can tell, because my friend's mad disrespectful, he makes the dogs do tricks, and the dog's looking at him in his face like, for real? You're gonna make me roll over for a piece of pepperoni right now? In front of my son? I'm 36 years old. Dogs have no ambition, and I get it. I get it. If you had made all my relatives have sex with each other until I was small enough to control, I would be down to live in a white woman's purse, too. It's a bad life for dogs. I grew up in uh, Santa Monica, California. Just one? <laughs> I grew up in Santa Monica, California, which is getting a lot of press now. Uh, because Stephen, I went to high school with Stephen Miller. Yeah, 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 yeah. yes. Um, if you guys don't know who Stephen Miller, do you know? Do we know who Stephen Miller is? Okay. If you don't know who Stephen Miller is, he is a chief advisor of Donald Trump. He. <laughs> uh, he's a chief advisor of Donald Trump. He co-wrote the Muslim ban, and he is the only person that I know who is both Jewish and loved by Nazis. <laughs> So I went to high school with him, and this reporter from the New York Times hit me up, and he's like, hey, I'm writing a story about Stephen Miller. Will you talk to me about what he was like in high school? And I wrote back, hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah, I'll talk to you about that, and I'll tell you everything you ever want to know. <laughs> and he goes, okay, cool, let's meet up for dinner, and, uh, and then let's do an interview. And I was like, great. And then so I showed up for dinner and he did this little reportery thing where he was like, let's eat dinner first and then do the interview. And I was like, okay. And then during dinner, he's just like, hey, Charles, you want another drink? Hey, Charles, take another drink. Another refill on that old fashioned. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you do not have to do this. I'll tell you everything you ever wanted to know. But you know, I want my free drinks. <laughs> So I'm just taking all these drinks, and then we finish the dinner, and he's like, okay, first question. Was Stephen Miller bullied a lot in high school? Because he really seems like he was bullied all the time. And I'm like, common misconception. And this is actually true, a lot of people ask me that question. Stephen Miller was never bullied in high school. Stephen Miller was the bully. Stephen Miller bullied kids in our school who were new to this country, who were learning English as a second language. He bullied the kids who are already marginalized by our society, and he continues to do that from the White House to date. <laughs> and the reporter's eyes get real wide, and he's like, oh. <laughs> And he just like scribble, scribble, scribble in his notepad. Scribbly, 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 scribble, scribbles. And he's like, man, wow. I just thought he was like bullied all the time. And I'm like a little drunk at this point. So I'm like, I wish somebody had bullied that guy in high school. He's never had any consequences for any of his racism in his whole entire life. If I could go back in time, I would go back in time. I'd go up to Stephen Miller on the quad and I'd bully him. 
I'd be like, Steven, 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 you're a little Steven, Steven, Steven. <laughs> and then I'd make him watch Moonlight. <laughs> and yes, if I'm going back in time, I'm bringing my copy of Moonlight, okay? <laughs> I don't want to be in a time where I can't watch that movie. It's a, it's a great movie. <laughs> And I see the reporter, after I say that, his eyes get real wide. And he's like, ooh. And he's like, scribble, 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 scribbly, scribble in his little notepad. And then we talk for like two more hours. And let me tell you something. I spilled the tea. <laughs> for like three more hours on Stephen Miller. And at the end of the interview, he goes, wow. You really know a lot about Stephen Miller. And I go, yeah, well, he was kind of my friend. <laughs> uh, he was my friend, you know, but I didn't know what I know now. And it was just like, I thought he was doing some performance art piece. <laughs> And as soon as I realized he's a genuine, like, white supremacist sociopath, I stopped being his friend. And then he goes, okay. No scribble. <laughs> no scribbly, scribbly, scribbly on the pad. Three weeks later, the article comes out, front page of the New York Times. It says, I spoke to a bunch of Stephen Miller's classmates, and his friend, <laughs> Charles Gould. <laughs> and nothing else, nothing else I said the whole entire dinner except that I'm Stephen Miller's friend. <laughs> and I remember I saw that and I said to myself, man, I got to start doing stand-up comedy. <laughs> I gotta get in front of as many people as possible and tell them I am not Stephen Miller's friend. <laughs> it's a very tense time right now. I myself suffer from anxiety and I could use a little more kindness in my life to myself and to others, you know. Yeah. One of the ways my anxiety plays out is at night. Because I suffer from this disorder called night terrors. When I first started having these night terrors, I became intimately familiar with my scream. Now I'm talking about that sound that comes out of you when you face death. Most people think that they know what that sounds like even if they've never been in a scenario. They're like, yeah, I know, I know what my scream sounds like. Half the women in this room right now are like, oh yeah, I've got a great scream. I have the scream of a skinny blonde woman. I have the kind of scream that makes Batman show up instantly. Like, you don't know that, okay? And I'm just here as a cautionary tale to let you know because I found out I don't have that kind of scream. I have the kind of scream that makes other people scream. I have the kind of scream that turns people into vegetarians because they think it's the sound of a pig dying. And the next time they see bacon, they're like, I can't eat that. I can't unhear the cries. Now, I know my scream is bad because when I first started having these night terrors, I lived in a tiny apartment in Brooklyn where people lived above me, below me, to the side of me, and not once did anyone check on me. <laughs> Nobody banged on the wall like, are you okay in there? 
And I know they could hear me dying because I could hear them making sex. But I don't blame them because it's a bad scream. It is a bad scream. And I'm going to demonstrate it for you right now. Here's my scream. Like, be honest with me. If you heard that outside your window at night, like, would you call 911 and be like, oh my God, someone please help that poor woman. Call the police. No. You'd be like, turn the lights off. Get the kids. Meet me in the panel room. Go, go, go. Like, that is embarrassing. That is something rotten inside of me trying to get out. Like, I can... I can hear women out there like, that is bad. My scream is better than that. My scream is like, congratulations. You have the scream of a human being. I have the scream of an entity. The kind of thing that chases you through the woods at night. Just like, (laughs) sorry. She was like, it's good though that I didn't do this. Like, like, cause you know when like a demon changes levels, it's get way scarier. It's way scarier. <laughs> oh, she's coming down. Oh, speaking of nightmares, does anybody else feel like they're losing their grip on reality as of late? I really do. Like, what is? Remember truth. Those were the days, huh? When you knew what was real. Oh, God. What is the truth? We don't even know anymore. And I think part of it is because we've entered into the golden age of conspiracy theorists. It is their time. Now, you probably all know one hardcore conspiracy theorist. Usually they have a name like Uncle Dennis, right? (laughs) It used to be that Uncle Dennis was pretty harmless, right? Like, maybe the extent of it would be, like, at a family function, Thanksgiving maybe, There's a quiet moment. Everyone's chewing. Uncle Dennis sees his in. He's like, y'all know what they're saying about the frogs, don't you? And you're just like, no, Uncle Dennis. We don't. Please enlighten us. (laughs) It's not funny, Sarah. The frogs are turning gay. Now, they don't know why they're turning gay, but I do. I figured it out. Barack Obama did it. And you're just like, no, Uncle Dennis, no. You hit him on the head with a rolled up newspaper. Like, that's what it used to be like. But now, the situation has changed. Things have shifted. Now, Uncle Dennis is literally the next national security advisor of the United States of America. It's like, oh my God. That is terrifying. Now, say what you want about the man, but I do 100% blame Donald Trump for this phenomenon. I don't know how he did it, but he put out some kind of clarion call that only the conspiracy theorists could hear. It was like, ooh. And they all emerged from their evidence sheds like 17-year cicadas just ready to make a lot of noise. It's like, this is our time. You will finally hear us. And we are, we're hearing them. I literally Googled last week, like, is the earth flat? Maybe. There's a lot of chatter. 
giving him a lot of platforms. Jeez. Now, I mentioned evidence sheds. If you're not familiar with the concept of an evidence shed, an evidence shed is like a TV trope. It's something you see in TV shows and movies, and it's when a detective has a shed out back his house or hidden in the woods somewhere where he's trying to solve that one crime that he can't let go of. Now, he's not supposed to be working on the case anymore, no. Because back at the station, the chief was like, give me your badge, hand over your gun. You're in too deep, McDaniels. I got City Hall breathing down my neck. You look like crap, go home, spend some time with your family. He's not spending time with his family. He's out back in the shed trying to connect some goddamn dots. <laughs> now, I know I'm out on a limb right now and not many of you are with me, but I do need to speak to you briefly about modern day evidence sheds. <laughs> Have you seen what they're using to solve crimes with these days? Dry erase boards. <laughs> like a whiteboard, are you serious? Are you serious? If you really cared about solving that crime, you would get out that red string tied around each individual thumbtack, <laughs> connecting each piece of evidence like you give a damn. If I had an evidence shed, I'd be up in Joanne's Fabrics every single morning preparing for the day, creating a beautiful murder collage that no one would ever forget. I don't mean to divide the audience, but we're divided enough as it is, but I had to speak my truth just then. Thank you for listening. That was David Borey, Charles Gould, and Sarah Schaefer. I'm Nicole Boyce, and I'm sitting here with Alan Strickland-Williams, whose half hour just aired on Comedy Central. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. good. I'm excited to talk to you about the half hour. I'm, I'm down. I'm ready. The process. The process. Um, the... How do you feel? Are you happy with it? I'm very happy with it. I thought it was very funny. Thank you. just want to say right off the bat that I enjoyed it very much. Thank you very much. Um, you have a very, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but... You have like a very classic style. You're um, absolutely right. Yes, okay, this is gonna go great. Um, a lot of setup. We're gonna be playing your hat, your clip earlier in this episode, so people will have heard it and they'll be familiar okay. with your style. Great. Um, but very punch uh, setup punchline. Um, setup setup joke. Setup setup joke. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's, it's <laughs> classic. These are classic things. Um, and I find that it works. People won't be able to see it, but they can all explain. You're dressed like very formally in mm -hmm. the half hour. Is that on? Because I feel like that makes me like trust you and I trust your your cadence. Mm -hmm. And like, is that on purpose? Do you dress? I don't formally? know if I I, I I don't know if I do it for trust, but I do do <laughs> it for. I just think um, I don't know. I feel more comfortable. Okay. Uh, like dressed. Um, sort of formally or you know I wear like a tie and right 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 um, I also feel like it's kind of you know I do you know especially when I first started I was really only one liners okay. um, and so the suit the tie and then kind mm -hmm. of having this very dry like bam 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 style mm -hmm. um, it kind of worked it was kind of like a throwback type of thing but now it's it's like you know like I think I was the only person to to dress like that really for the the half hours like so. uh, like a tie or yes. whatever but um uh I do I I think that also nowadays it's it's almost like it's almost funny to dress nice yes yes <laughs> so Compared especially to, comics yeah. it's like yeah. you know a lot of it's a lot of 
you know, like sweatpants and, you know, yes. basketball shorts like garbage, or whatever. Garbage yeah. clothing. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, maybe, uh, you know, kind of like a, a stylistic choice. I, I think it, it like sets you apart also. Cause I think, I think I remember like John Mulaney talking about that, how mm-hmm. he's always wearing like a suit and mm-hmm. stuff on stage. Cause it just, it, people remember you as someone. It, it It's also a little bit to me. I'm like, look, you know, especially something like that where you're going to be on TV or there's yeah. like a lot of people and, or it's like a, a club, like a paying crowd. It's like, you know, people want to see a show. People want people yes. want it, you know, a the little effort. elevated. The right. effort. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like that's kind of like a, um, you know, it's partly for for that too right, for the right. audience. You're also drinking. Is it a martini on stage? Yeah, they yeah, kind of central. Let me bring a martini oh. out. I thought that was really fun. Is it gin vodka? <laughs> it's gin classic. Okay, classic. Yeah, yeah. again, yeah. classic. Again. <laughs> um, that's so great. I the, feel like, yep. the martini was funny because I got. Um, they were so nice. Everyone in Comedy Central was great, and they were. They're like asked me like the day before like do you need anything and I was like they I think they said like do like a bottle of water on stage or whatever and I was like can I have a martini on stage and they're mm-hmm. like yes you can and oh. I was like okay great and so I I come out with the martini and I like you know I put it down and I tell like the first joke and the first joke went well and I'm like okay I can have like a sip. Right. I've like earned it, you know. Yes, yes, and yes. I go over, and there is a fly in it, <laughs> <gasps> and I was like, "Man, that is that's comedy right there." Like, <laughs> you're big, you're Can't big Comedy Central shit. taping. You, everyone's here. You're doing great. There's a fly in the martini. <laughs> good, good, good to keep you humble. Did you did you drink it though? Of course I, I drank. I just yeah yeah. Did it taste good? Is it? A yeah, good it was a good fly. <laughs> it was a good fly. Hey, you gotta get your protein in. Exactly. You know, you yeah. Get your protein in. Um. Did you have jokes and stuff about your family and a little bit in there? Did you have people come watch you? Was it like I did? Yeah. Well, I told people that this was like this is the closest I'll ever have to a wedding. So like (laughs) this is it. Like like come come down. I don't know Uh, if there'll ever be a reason to do something like this again. But um, yeah, my family was there. Um, I tell another classic setup punch joke about um eating ass and it's about my mom. Yes, uh, and and she. to endure that and then i you know it's not on the on on the half hour but uh afterwards i was i was like round of applause for peggy williams everybody <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of fun oh i love that <laughs> but yeah but yeah it was that was actually what was super fun and you know it, it was kind of i i'm really happy i'm, I'm happy that i got to do this at all sure. i'm i'm doubly happy that i got to do it with some of the people that i did it with okay. because yeah, yeah. Like David Bory, I mean, we used to run a weekly show together, oh, uh, like okay. a couple years ago. So that, and then like Vanessa Gonzalez, I used to have a sketch group, and we went through. Um, I forget where we were one time, but she opened for us, so I've known her for like ever, and I've always okay. thought she was. So it's just like that was really cool, and it was cool to see. It was cool to see, like you know, like Joe Quazala. He's like he he like started in Chicago, so it's like right. there's a little Chicago contingent that came out, and like I started yeah. in L.A. and there's like a little L.A. crowd, and like David is from Denver, so there's mm-hmm. Denver. You know, it was it was, re- and the fact that they tape it in New Orleans right. is perfect on so many levels, and that's one of them too, where it's like, you know, I I felt I did not feel bad inviting people to come see what you know mm-hmm. would be a series of really fun shows. And do it in the most fun city in the world. <laughs> it's like New <laughs> do you, Orleans. Do you so. perform there a lot, or I've been, I've been, I've performed there maybe three times, counting that. Okay. Um, and it's always fun, and mm-hmm. it's just, it's just one of those things where it's just like, 
it's almost I just want to go there not for comedy. Like just I want to just hang out. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. that was that was the, the sort of the Faustian bargain of the whole like half hour. It's like yeah, okay, we're, your dream's going to come true, but you have to spend two days in New Orleans not getting crazy <laughs> drunk before the taping. I'm like, okay, well, I can do this. Catch twenty two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's impressive. Um, when so you started in LA? You said I did. But yeah, you- I did. I I did. Um, a handful of times before that, um, I, I was in a sketch comedy group in college, uh-huh. so that was kind of like how I started comedy. Okay. Um, but uh, I moved to LA, and um, I had a job, and I got laid off, and when I got <laughs> laid off and on unemployment, that's when I started doing it like every night. Okay. And that's when I like, yeah. Um, what was the process like going up to the half hour, you trying to do like, how long had you been working on that material, would you say? Well, it depends. Some of it, I mean, some of the jokes were jokes that I t- had before I did comedy, really. Like, okay. um, but some of them were, you know, written in the, you know, last year before the taping. Mm-hmm. Some of the tags and some of the, there, there was, there was one thing that I changed that day <gasps> just because I finally, <gasps> so I realized something. I was like, oh, I have to say that. And, right. Um, so that, so, uh, you know, it's kind of all over the place. What I did was because in LA, it's very hard to get stage time. Sure. Um, in general, it's, yeah. it's almost impossible to get longer than eight or 10 minutes. Right. So when I found out I had the half hour, which, you know, there's a process to that too. I submitted a couple times mm-hmm. and, um, once I found out I had it and I knew, okay, I, we knew the dates that we were taping. I think mine was February 1st. I was like, oh, I need to go on a tour um, and I need to like go out on the road and see what because they're, you know, the way that it kind of works is like they approve you. And then they're I mean, I and I'm really like, you know, I'm sure every uh, process is different with each comedian. But I was so surprised at how easy it was to work with like getting notes or or not or honestly not getting notes, getting, you know, it, it was it was a really, really like comedian first oh, approach that they oh, took I thought and I and I think that that yeah I think that that worked um, so I, I felt very lucky but I uh, I just went out in the middle of winter uh, in January and just did a two-week tour and that mm-hmm. was kind of it, it really did feel like I'm like okay I'm really glad I did that because right. that is how I f- I got the rhythm of the half hour I figured out exactly what I wanted to do mm-hmm. what I didn't want to do and I, I felt like so I, I I feel like very, very fortunate, too, because I I taped the thing and I got off stage and I was like, well, thank God I saved one of like my best three performances ever for that taping. <laughs> really? It, you would consider it? Oh, it, it was one. It's That's maybe maybe not the best show I've ever done. But like um. it, it's it's it, I, I was like, I really didn't mess anything up. And I really kind of did exactly what wow. I wanted to do. So that felt good. That's an incredible feeling. Yeah, oh that, it felt it felt really nice. Um, were you like nervous right before or do you get nervous? I was a little nervous. I mean, I wanted it to go well, but I had done um, I did Conan a second time a couple months before, mm-hmm. maybe six months before. And the audience just really didn't give it up as much as I thought they should have. And I don't know if it was something off that I was doing. It's a set that I've done a million times, you Mm know. Um, But it just, it wasn't like the huge, like, rush that I, you know, was hoping for, which I think is probably also why Mm -hmm. there was a letdown. But because of that experience where, you know, I did a thing and it wasn't, it didn't live up to what I had in my head, I, I tried to be very... Before going on stage, just very like, you know, 
just appreciate this as it happens right now. Oh, live in the moment. Live in the moment. Oh. And, you know, all that stuff is so hokey, but it's like, it's usually pretty it's true. true yeah. um, and so I kind of just took a little moment and like looked out at the crowd mm-hmm. and looked like backstage and, you know, like had the martini and I was just like, this is either gonna, <laughs> this is this is gonna happen and maybe it'll be great. Maybe right. Maybe there'll be some snags, but... Um, I tried to just sort of like put away the nervousness and be excited right. to like, you know, the sort of like I was excited to go. I was I was like ready to do it. Right. I was like, give me out there. Like let, I, I I'm and I'm like this even just at shows. I was this way when I was doing open mics. I'm like, please put me first. Mm-hmm. I want to go first. I want to mm-hmm. get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. So I think I went like right in the middle. I think I was the last show. Hmm, I can't remember exactly when I was, but I was on the middle day of taping mm-hmm. in New Orleans, and I think I I, def, I wasn't I wasn't first that day. I remember that. So, um, I I was antsy. I was like, I yeah, want to kind of get in your head. I, I want and I want to cross it off the list and be right. done with it. Yeah, right, right. yeah. Live in the moment, mm-hmm. just you and the fly. Mm-hmm. But the crowd, <laughs> the crowd was really hot. Like uh, they were the, loving your the, stuff. The crowd was, was incredible. The crowd was great, and I I really do feel like I have to. Um, uh, uh, acknowledge that I, I I mean Jabuki Young White and I taped the same night mm-hmm. so Jabuki went first and then I went in the same time slot and um, he has a crowd he has a following sure and um, I think you know like the shows were free but um, there were still tickets and I, I know that ours like sold out quote unquote uh-huh. if you can sell out without selling mm-hmm. anything but um, so it was packed mm-hmm. and they're an they're an engaged crowd and um, I was a little worried. I did. I just didn't know if they would go for, for um, my my jokes. But they really did. And mm-hmm. and I, I also like I do. You know, a lot of my stuff is kind of like, a yes, it's sort of like short attention span. You mm-hmm. can get to the joke pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Keep the show moving, which is nice. I feel like in these sort of, you know, these taping situations to kind of keep it fresh and fast. Sure. But but also a lot of my stuff is about like partying and having a good time and like mm-hmm. drinking and stuff. So again, just like a ha- really happy, like all these things coming together that right. made the whole thing like really work. Right. Yeah. Um. And so we're going to play a clip later from Zach Galifianakis, who mm-hmm. you called a inspiration to yourself. Yeah. Is that a half hour you watched a lot like growing up Yeah. I, like, as you started comedy? I remember when... um. They used to they used to air like reruns of the of the half hours. Um, like I think they'd be on like right when I got home from school in okay. like high school. Okay. Um, and I remember the Galifianakis one. The, I was just, and I was just talking to Joe was all about this like the Maria Bamford one. Mm-hmm. There's this one. There's this sketch crew called Sloven and Allen that I watched all the time. Um, Dimitri Martin. Mm-hmm. But the Galifianakis one is one that I sort of watched and I don't think I really had any designs to do comedy back then but I mm-hmm. but it just like resonated it just to me it, he's a weird looking guy mm-hmm. he has a beard he, he wears he dresses kind of nice Does he have like a scarf he in, had in the scarf yeah he, and he did the whole joke about like um <laughs> Zach I talked to my stylist oh <laughs> then, yeah, yeah, yeah it's like like you don't have a st- it's just so funny to me right. like everything he's doing and then of course the piano part I mean like that's yes. that, that's almost Galvanakis has gotten so huge that I almost even forget that that's basically what he did for years and years right. was the yes. weird jokes Same. over the 
sort of piano thing. Um, like all the impressions. And all the like impressions. That, that gay and snake one is so funny. The gay snake is one of the funniest things I've ever... And, yes. and you know, like, I, I do, like, some dumb impressions that are like that. And that's, I mean, you know, I... I, I do that because of Zach Galifianakis because okay. you can just do these like yeah. I'm like oh yeah what do you, he calls them characters <laughs> he's gonna do some characters <laughs> um, but yeah yeah that was definitely a thing and then once I started comedy and had an interest in it I remember like that specifically and some of his other stuff like I would just listen to it to like remind myself uh-huh. what I like uh-huh. and that I like comedy right. and that even if it's hard like you know it's the, this is the essence of what it is. It's sure. being stupid and making jokes and right. stuff. So, um, so yeah, I definitely have like watched it a, a bajillion times. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for, thank you for coming me. on to talk about the half hour. Appreciate um, it. Alan Strickland Williams, your half hour air November 15th. But if you missed it, you can catch it at cc.com in mm-hmm. the app. Yep. Uh, classic. Um, is there anything you want to plug? Anything you're working on? Any social handles? Um, my so I'm uh, totally Alan everywhere. And okay. then I have a podcast um, with some other comics called The Male Gaze. We're found everywhere. Um, and we just kind of like talk about the news cool. and stuff. Great. And then talk about our lives. I love that. So, yeah. That's incredible. Well, thank you so much again. And now we're going to play a clip from Zach Galifianakis. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Today I was in my hotel and uh, I was wearing my girl's kick-ass t-shirt and wearing my ankle weights. He's like, what am I going to talk about? And I just talk about life, Zach. Talk about your life. That's what the people want to hear. So here goes. Guys, have you ever woken up with an erection and then you realize you're just in a massage chair at Brookstone? (laughs) And then you yell out, I'll take it! I have sinus problems and it's, I'm Greek and I have sinus problems and uh, I know, I know why. My body produces feta cheese. It's not really a joke, it's just a fact. Allow me to open up. Have you ever been so drunk that you wet the bed? And I don't mean you're, you're sleeping in it, you're just standing over pissing on it. <laughs> I live in Los Angeles and uh, I was there on the Walk of Fame and I'd been drinking that night. And I just got a henna tattoo that said forever. And I was making out with a squatter in front of Ripley's, believe it or not. (sighs) 
like I said, I was drinking. By the way, you know that you have a drinking problem when the bartender knows your name and you've never been to that bar before. <laughs> So I'm there on the Walk of Fame and I stumble across Tony Danza's star. And I urinated on it. Just yelling out, who's the boss now? supposed to comment about the audience, but there's a hyena in the... Thank, thank you, though. Thank you. Thank you. Can you leave? This has been a Comedy Central podcast.